0: Thanks for tuning in today. This is Kevin Conover. You're listening to Educate for Life Radio. We're broadcasting down here in Southern California um, in San Diego. We're on 12: 1210 a.m. every Saturday at noon, and uh, we've got all kinds of fantastic shows. You know, uh, one of my favorite subjects to talk about is uh, archaeology and the Bible. I find it really, really interesting. I've had uh, quite a few different uh, archaeologists on the show, uh, including Dr. Scott Stripling, Dr. Doug Petrovich, Dr. Bryant Wood. And uh, today we've got um, with us Dr. Titus Kennedy, and uh, he's recently come out with a fantastic book, Unearthing the Bible. If you want to check it out, um, you can, you can, it's all over the, the web. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on uh, his page. And uh, just a little bit of background uh, on Dr. Kennedy. Uh, he is a research fellow at the Discovery Institute. He's an adjunct professor at Biola University and Shepherds Seminary, and um, he's done archaeological documentaries and curricula, including drive through History and the Bible on Earth. And uh, just recently, uh, Dr. Kennedy, you are just finishing up a new text, Excavating the Evidence for Jesus, a new book you're coming out with. And um, how's that been going so far? How how are you feeling about that? When should we expect to be able to see that?
1: Uh, It's going well. The manuscript is completed now. It's just final edits and formatting. I believe they're going to put it on pre-order on Amazon sometime around September. And so look forward a few months after that as its released.
0: That's great. Now, uh, you know, you, you, you wrote Unearthing the Bible, which um, I think is an incredibly useful book. Um, which did you enjoy more, uh, writing Unearthing the Bible or Excavating the Evidence for Jesus?
1: I probably enjoyed the writing of Unearthing the Bible more, but i i enjoyed the the research for excavating evidence for jesus more because i got to really dig into details there and grapple with some debates and uh, some contentious issues about chronologies and site locations and which artifacts should we consider as useful or, or even legitimate
0: yeah yeah i you know that's really interesting to me because um you know, as you're exploring archaeology, and I want to ask you this about, you know, how you got into archaeology and what, what motivated you um, to begin studying this. But, you know, for a lot of people, when you're digging, digging up this, these facts, you're looking at this stuff, uh, metaphorically digging up, right, the, the evidence for the truth of the Bible. Um, sometimes people wonder, well, am I going to find something that's actually going to disprove the Bible? It's actually going to uh, cast doubt on the Bible. And we see this pop up every, every once in a while in pop culture and pop media um, somebody says, uh, you know, they, they, they found something that gives us evidence that Jesus actually, um, you know, did die or the, or, and never rose from the dead or whatever it was. Um, uh, how, how has that been for you as you've been exploring, you know, all this evidence? I mean, you're doing real archeology span over in, in, uh, Israel and other places. And, um, have you ever gotten to a point where you're like, Whoa, I, I feel like, uh, this might Uh, you know, cast doubt on the Bible. Have you ever experienced something like that?
1: There's certainly cases you come across where there's data that could be interpreted a number of ways, or maybe there's a, a book or a journal article out that is making a claim about some contradiction. And oftentimes you need to look into those and, and grapple with them and see What's the explanation, or go back to the data and see if their conclusions were warranted based on that data? Uh, for me, personally, I haven't gotten to a place where I'm looking at archaeological material and I'm saying, oh no, I, there's no way that this reconciles with the Bible still being reliable. But you know, some some people, they have that line of thinking in their writing, and they continue to go with it, and that's kind of, The worldview that they're they're coming from but i'm i'm looking at it as the bible has a this excellent track record as a historical work and so i'm not looking at it from the perspective of guilty until proven innocent with a huge amount of evidence i'm looking at it as it's it's been shown to be reliable so when we haven't found things about certain sections I'm expecting we probably will find something, or we don't have a reason to discount that just because of the current absence of evidence.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, and that that uh, is a great segue into another question I have, which is, do you see that the um, do you see the study of archaeology and specifically biblical archaeology? Do you see this as an increasing, um, like a like we're growing in the amount of findings we're we're finding? Or is this something that's on the decrease that we're we're actually finding less and less stuff? Um, Is this a field that is growing? Or is it a field that is shrinking?
1: Well, the field itself is, it goes, it ebbs and flows in terms of its growth. Uh, But there's always more being found. And I would say that probably, at least once a year, there's something new that's discovered that connects to the Bible. It may be really small, sometimes it's big, but there is a continual increase of information in the field of biblical archaeology specifically. Uh, archaeology itself is probably suffering a bit right now. Uh, the humanities in general have become less popular, especially in North America. And archeology span struggles financially too because of the way that the, the laws are set up and how museums function now and, and excavations are funded and so forth. Uh, so it's, it's not in its heyday, but there are still a lot of excavations going on and they're, they're digging up new material.
0: Okay. Um, So so from your perspective, you know, um, your book subtitled is uh, 101 uh, Findings, uh, 101 Archaeological Discoveries that Bring the Bible to Life. Um, What motivated you to decide to, you know, write this specifically? And, uh, you know, how did you get interested in biblical archaeology?
1: Well, that book specifically, I wanted to write because... I, I have an acute interest in artifacts that connect to the Bible, both directly and indirectly. And one thing I really like about them is that you can see these artifacts yourself in a museum or a collection, or at least you can look at, at photographs of them. Um, and so one of my objectives over the years has been assembling a big archive of photographs of all these different artifacts, a lot more than are in the book. And I wanted to be able to share that with people. And it's something a little bit different than just having a a geography book or or even an archeological site book. So I had put this idea together and I submitted it to a couple of publishers and they decided on sort of the limit of the amount of artifacts. I, I originally had more slotted but uh, it, it worked out to a nice number. And there's pictures of everything so people can see that they actually exist. It's not just words on a page claiming that it's there. Or, you know, They've got to rely on somebody saying it's real or, or the, on their description of it even. You can look at it yourself. And I think that's a very important thing, uh, especially in the field of archaeology, that people can see the evidence there themselves. Um, yeah, absolutely yeah uh, in with even with archaeological sites and you know specific buildings that's important but I think objects like this are easier for people to look at and understand because the, the artifacts are usually in a state of preservation that is higher than a building for example, you go to an archaeological site you might be looking at some building which in its time might have been exquisite but now it just looks like, the foundations in a rectangular square of some broken stones and if, if you're not used to that then you're kind of like is this just a pile of rocks that i'm looking yeah, at? yeah but artifacts usually they are closer to their their original state you know of course some are are broken or worn out but a lot of them you you can really see okay it looked like that in ancient times so when you're, um, you're a professor,
0: you're an adjunct professor, and you, you uh, teach, and you speak, and you, you do these sorts of things, um, when people hear uh, this sort of information, um, do, does that, is that really um, you know, compelling for them? Do you feel like um, that from an apologetics perspective, obviously, I, I, I teach apologetics, I teach 12th grade apologetics, we cover some of the archaeology of the Bible, um, but for, from your experience, is that a, a compelling case for the truth of the Bible?
1: From a historical standpoint, yes, I think so. Uh, of course, you can't you can't find a correlation for every book or chapter or verse, uh, but you can for many of the narratives and and some of the specifics. And so it shows, at least in general, that the Bible is historically reliable and that there's an a ever-increasing amount of evidence that is confirming that or corroborating that. And so if we're just looking at it from a historical standpoint, then yes, absolutely, I think so. Uh, archaeology, you could say that that's stronger and more compelling than parallel historical sources because you, you can always make critiques about, oh, this historian writing something had a bias or they made a mistake, but you can't really do that with the physical evidence.
0: Hmm, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, and we hear that all the time. I mean, that's our culture right now is incredibly skeptical of um, history in general. And and we hear all the time about historical re- revisionism and the whole thing with um, critical race theory and everything that's come out too is is uh, a lot of people are saying that's an attempt to rewrite history and all these other things. So uh, that's very interesting that you bring that point up. Um, you know, your interest in archeology span uh, is that, was that a uh, spiritual interest um, or how did you get interested in this, you know, growing up? Uh, what caused you to decide, um, you know, this is something I really want to focus on?
1: I was always interested in history, even back in elementary school. And I was just unaware that archaeology even existed until fourth grade when one of my teachers gave me a book to read on the excavation of troy i had read the iliad and the odyssey and she thought that i would enjoy learning about the discovery of that actual place and so i read about this dig and heinrich schliemann and others who were trying to find troy and and dig it up and then that was my introduction to archaeology and i saw that oh they can actually find these places buried under the ground and and find these objects from ancient times. And even some some data, some material that shows events like the destruction of Troy by a fire destruction layer over there. So then I came to understand that historians can get a lot of their historical information from archaeological discoveries. And uh, as I continue to do more reading about that, then I found that there's also a lot of archaeology that connected to the Bible, and and so I started going more in that direction, uh, specifically focusing on biblical archaeology, and decided that I wanted to try studying that in university. So
0: what are some of the, um, for you personally, what are some of the most uh, significant findings um, that for you really are a big deal uh, in regards to the Bible and giving evidence that the Bible's real history.
1: One example that I like to point out quite often, because it's, it's fairly recent. I mean, it was 1993, but in terms of archaeology, it's fairly recent. And it was a major shift in academia, is the Tel Dan Stele, which was, mm-hmm. uh, a, it, it was a stele by the Arameans, so enemies of Israel they had set it up as a victory commemoration when they defeated the city of Dan in the north. Uh, and they put it up in the 9th century BC and on it they talk about how they defeated these various Israelite kings. And then they said how they're, they originate from the house of David. So the royal dynasty of David and it demonstrated that David was the founding king of the dynasty of Israelite and Judean kings. Up until that point, there had been no archaeological evidence for David that had been found. The only material we had referencing him really from antiquity was the Old Testament. And of course, even with the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, you look at the book of Samuel, for example, second century BC, maybe those copies are. So it's a a lot of time separated and, and archaeologists and ancient historians and even some biblical scholars were going along with the idea that uh, David was a mythical king because there's no evidence that he existed. Well, when this was found many scholars had to immediately shift their viewpoint on that some some tried to come up with alternative explanations, but most Then accepted. Okay, David was a real king and then some more evidence came out or was reevaluated. So that that is a major piece that I like to use, at least as an example.
0: And this is pretty common though isn't it it's pretty common that um that you know people will attack the bible they'll they'll say hey you know this is fictional or this is fictional or this is fictional i've heard this about the uh, the pool of siloam i've heard this about the hittites i've heard uh, that frequently um the bible is or even luke you know as a historian people said he wasn't reliable um, is this something you see frequently happening where the Bible is attacked and then it's it's vindicated?
1: Yeah, over the last 170 years, something like that, we could say from, from the mid-1800s, there have been a lot of cases like that where the predominant view in scholarship has become such and such book is unhistorical or, or person or passage, and then a discovery is made through archaeology that contradicts that assertion and people have to change their views on it. But it really hasn't changed the overall perspective on the historical usefulness of the Bible for a lot of scholars. Um, For the ones maybe that were personally or more personally involved in some of those discoveries, yes. Like, you know, you talked about the example of Luke being regarded as an unreliable historian, which that that was the opinion of many scholars back in the 19th century. And uh, then William Ramsey did all this work. He himself was skeptical, but what he was finding was that Luke was getting all these things right. And so that, that changed his perspective on the reliability of of Luke acts and, you know, other examples you gave like uh, the Hittites, did they even exist or another one that, that is often talked about is Belshazzar from Daniel.
0: Oh, interesting. And, and uh, I, I haven't heard much about Belshazzar. What, what is the situation there? Is that, has he been vindicated or is that still an ongoing uh,
1: argument? Yes, yes, you know, and, and quite a while ago, But but that was another example of many scholars, especially those skeptical of the reliability of the Old Testament were saying, The author of Daniel had no idea what he was talking about. This is historical fiction. There's no Belshazzar in any Babylonian records. You know, Nabonidus would have been the last king. And then some Babylonian texts were discovered, which told us that Belshazzar was the firstborn son of Nabonidus. And Nabonidus left him in charge as regent in Babylon when Nabonidus went off and to do some other things. He wasn't interested in ruling, and that's why Belshazzar was the king of Babylon, and that's why Daniel could only be offered the third place in the kingdom.
0: Oh, wow, that's really interesting. (laughs) Um, And then um, what about today? Are there ongoing disputes uh, today? What are the current things that are kind of raging back and forth as far as uh, skeptics are saying, ah, the Bible got it wrong here, but yet you know, biblical archaeologists like yourself are saying, no, I think they got it right. What, what's happening there?
1: Probably the biggest debate within academic archaeology is, is over the chronology connected to David, Solomon, and the early divided kingdom. So there's one group that wants to move everything about 100 years later, and there's one group that's keeping it in the sort of traditional uh, biblical chronology and and thinks that it's the Bible's account is more historically reflective of what happened. So there, that's that's a big division point. But then you have other other situations like um, there's still a lot of talk going around about the New Testament and various views on that and on Jesus and different iterations of the historical Jesus idea. Um, you know, there are things that are just they're all over the place really uh, so it depends when you on say the they're all context. over the place
0: when yeah, you're referring of, to you
1: know some some people are saying like we have a, a historical core in the gospels and then others are saying that it's it's almost purely myth uh, it, although the scholars professional scholars accept the existence of jesus but then you do have a, a pretty significant contingent of people who are outside of the professional disciplines of ancient history or archaeology who are still claiming Jesus never even existed and that we have no evidence for that and and so there's like this continuous battle and there's various degrees of it and there's you know talk about authorship of these these books of course and you know what is mythology and what is history so the new testament it's a different situation especially the gospels than the Old Testament, but it, it's got its battles too. So um, along those lines, what you're what you're talking about there, you
0: know, um, when you say people outside of the field of archaeology and and the study of ancient manuscripts and these sorts of things, uh, are you referring to people like you know like new atheist kind of people? Um,
1: is that who you're referring to? Some some of them might make that claim. Yes, uh, another I guess the name has gotten. Grouped as sort of the Jesus mythicists, oh which yeah, seems to have a very loud voice some places.
0: And this is even though they're not experts on the subject matter, their <laughs> their voice is so loud that it's lots
1: of books published, documentaries made from that perspective. Yeah, and so they're they're getting their viewpoint out there. So the general public, I think, can be very confused and and not be aware at all that if you were go to go to basically any university department. And talk to a, a history professor or an archaeology professor and ask them, was Jesus an historical person? You know, they would say, of course. But from what they're ingesting from media and uh, you know even many books, they might think, oh, actually, a, a lot of professionals believe that there's no evidence Jesus even existed. Mm.
0: And even the secularists, even the secular archaeologists, and so forth are saying, yeah, I've heard this about Bar Ehrman. I mean, he, he there's no dispute over whether Jesus existed or not, or, or, or Jesus died or not. It, there are other things that he disputes, but he doesn't dispute that. Um, right. Yeah, uh, that's very interesting, huh? And then, um, you know, uh, one of the things that, you know, has been popularized by Tim Mahoney is the, with the patterns of evidence, and he's come out with several new movies, and he's arguing is, you know, there's a, like you said, a contingent of people that are saying that, the Exodus never happened, for example, like, or, you know, the Red Sea crossing never happened, or you, you, you can't have 2 million people uh, in that desert there. That wouldn't, the the amount of people wouldn't fit. You wouldn't be able to do that. And you, you hear these sorts of things that the, the Exodus is a purely mythical event. Um, Do you come down on the, on the side that all the historical events recorded in the Bible are actual history? Um, Or do you think that some of the stories in the Bible are, are uh, have become myth or, Are they, what's your view on that?
1: Uh, I would take all the historical narrative sections as as history. So, I mean, I think there are a few sections in the Bible where they're, they're clearly not trying, they're not recording history. And of course we would be looking at things like parables or maybe some uh, poetic comparisons or, or something that, that's teaching theology, but there's a lot of history in there. So with something like the Exodus, for example, you know, I think it's history. It's recording history. It's not mythology. It's not trying to be mythology.
0: Is there real? Uh, is there evidence? Um, I was speaking to a fellow up in L. A. when I was up there a, a while ago, um, who said he had studied this pretty extensively. He was an archaeologist. And he said that a lot of people don't know it, but there's actual evidence of um, of the plagues in Egypt and all this stuff recorded in in the tombs of of certain pharaohs. Um, have you heard about this? Are, are you aware of this? Yeah, I've, I've
1: heard about this. Yeah. It,
0: what's your view on that? Is there actual archaeological evidence for this sort of thing?
1: I uh, no, I I don't put any stock in that hypothesis. I've I've looked at that so. I, I think I know exactly what what this is you're, you're discussing, you're talking about. And as far as I can recall, there's one, one guy who is pushing this idea and I don't think any others have grasped onto it in the same, same way as he has.
0: Now, um, do you think that evidence will be forthcoming um, that there was? that there really were these plagues, that the the exodus really did take place? Do you think that there'll be, uh, over time, that archaeology will discover evidence of this with all that they're doing over in Egypt and so forth?
1: Well, I think we have some evidence of the period of the exodus and the exodus plagues. It's just that that particular hypothesis that you were talking about as far as it being recorded on the tombs of, of a pharaoh or certain pharaohs, I don't think is correct, but there's, there's indirect and circumstantial evidence that I think we could connect to the Exodus events as a whole and to some of the plagues. And then there's also a papyrus. Sometimes it's called the, or referred to as the Ipuwer papyrus, but the admonitions of Ipuwer And it's a poem, and it's writing about this time in Egypt when there's chaos and death and destruction. And there are several passages in there that parallel very well with events in the the plague's narratives of exodus and i think that's possibly a an egyptian poetic version of re, you know recounting that time and there there's discussions about the date of composition of that and actually have an article on that papyrus coming out pretty soon where i get into the details of the evidence for the composition date of the papyrus and then the specifics of passages in that poem versus passages in the Exodus plague narratives and you know That it's suggestive that it is actually an Egyptian non official account, uh, the account of a bard, if you will, a, a poet uh, who who was either around at that time or He's getting material from that time and then writing a writing a song or a poem about it. Oh, that's
0: interesting. Huh. Um, where if somebody wanted to, to check out your article on that, that sounds very interesting. Uh, where would they be able to get a hold of something like that?
1: It's gonna be published in Bible and spade.
0: Okay, great. Awesome. And then um, you know, what what is your focus gonna be going forward here? I mean, you you've you've uh written Unearthing the Bible you've written a book on Christ and the archaeological evidence supporting the life of Christ and the times around him. What do you see going forward? What are you excited to continue doing research on?
1: So I'm writing another book on locations of the Bible, and it's going to be a little bit different than a lot of them out there. You know, there's quite a few historical atlases of the Bible and things like that, or ones that focus on sites in in Israel, uh, but mine is going to be on all different geographic areas that are in the Bible. So there'll be a section on Mesopotamia and Persia and Anatolia and Egypt and Greece and Rome and the whole Levant, not not just Israel. Uh, So it'll be a a little different in regards to that. Uh, Hopefully, you know, more pictures than some of the older books, at least, and, and uh, maps, and then uh, it's, I'm going to be focusing, again, for more from an archaeological perspective on that, so I'm going to talk about each of these sites as you go through history chronologically and how it connects to the Bible, so I, I think about 80 or 90 locations. Most of them are cities or towns, but I am going to address a few other locations, like Mount Ararat, um different ideas with mount sinai different ideas with the reed sea crossing uh kadesh barneas some of some stuff like that too because i know there's interest in in them even if there isn't consensus on some of those locations
0: yeah that's that's very interesting and then, you know, for your, you know, when you're talking to somebody, um, you know, I don't know how often, I, I mean, this is what you do for a living. So I'm sure every once in a while it comes up in conversation, you're talking to somebody and they ask you on an airplane or whatever, Hey, what do you do for a living? Right. Um, you know, when you're, when you're talking to somebody about, you know, your belief in God, how much does this impact your, your belief in God, as far as, you know, um, there's a lot of different apologetic arguments for, I mean, you're a fellow at the discovery Institute and uh, Stephen Meyer wrote the, the foreword to your book, which is pretty impressive. That's pretty cool. Um, And he's coming from the intelligent design perspective and the, and the, you know, uh, signature in the cell and these sorts of things Um, he's arguing for you. um, What is, what kind of weight do you put on the truth of the Bible because of all the archeology, span that seems to confirm the Bible. Is that a huge component for you? Or do you look more at, does the moral argument affect you? Does the you know, intelligent design argument, how does that um, affect somebody's belief in the Bible and your, you personally?
1: I think the, the historical archeological component is powerful and it's one of the main components that people should consider. But of course there are other facets too. Uh, I couldn't demonstrate conclusively to anybody that the Bible is ultimately reliable based on history and archaeology alone, right? I mean, I could, I could say that it's a reliable history book, right? But you can't really tell somebody except theology or supernatural uh, teachings because of a historical record. So I think it's part of it, and I actually think it's part that's ignored a lot and, and too much. But, uh, of course, you have other things like science, for example, if you're talking about intelligent design, that makes a number of powerful arguments regarding uh, design and fine tuning and things that demonstrate how neo-Darwinianism just doesn't work scientifically. And, you know, all this stuff in ID that, that connects well to how things are explained in the Bible And then you also have other components like fulfilled prophecy which i think something like that is pointing more in the direction of the divine than say just recording the history correctly right because a lot of people they they might say all right you wrote a book about the archaeology and history of jesus and that's fine i can accept these arguments and this evidence that He existed, and these places were real, and these people were real, and these events happened. But I have a problem with the miracles or with the prophecy. And so you have to look at other types of evidence in order to demonstrate to people that, well, you can rely on those components in the Bible, too, because look at, for example, the fulfilled prophecies from Isaiah, just as one, one little snapshot of things that we could use.
0: Yeah, yeah. I had an atheist actually say that to me one time, I was giving him all these historical facts about the Bible. And he said, well, just because you have some history that's true in the Bible doesn't mean that the Red Sea crossing actually happened. And, you know, you get to that point and you go, well, that's true. You know, you, you can't automatically conclude that. Um, My response was, well, you should be at least giving the Bible the benefit of the doubt. I mean, uh, you know, innocent until proven guilty. And the fact of the matter is, is we keep finding all these historical evidences that confirm the Bible. So um, you need to at least, you know, crack the door of your heart here and and in your your mind and, and consider that, whoa, maybe this is true.
1: Right. And part of the problem is that the mainstream viewpoint of Western culture is scientific materialism whether whether people realize that or not they automatically discount the supernatural and miraculous and that's not the case all over the world and that's not the case if you go back to ancient times and that's one of the really interesting things that i found when i was researching the different viewpoints of jesus and his miracles in antiquity is that they basically all said, yeah, he performed miracles. They just had different viewpoints on it and explanations for the source of, of where that happened. Mm. But it's, it's not like 2021 USA where most people are going to say, oh, no, that didn't happen. That part can't be real because it's impossible for that to occur. It's, well, it's because that's their viewpoint.
0: Interesting. That is really interesting.
1: So if somebody said to you, um, you, you
0: know, your elevator pitch and somebody said to you, hey, you know, give me the, the most compelling archaeological find that you think um, confirms the truth of the Bible. And, uh, you know, what would that be in your mind um, is, is the one. For me, one of the ones that I love that I just am astonished by how much it validates the Bible is um, Hezekiah's Tunnel that goes along with asylum tunnel inscription, and then you've got uh, the Sennacherib prism. Um, to me, I look at all those and I'm like, are you kidding me? How could you ever deny that this actually happened? This is a real historical event. Um, on, the same, on the same vein, what do, you, uh, what do you see as like, whoa, this is just overwhelmingly clear. This is, this is real history.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the ones I would point to is, are the prisms of Sennacherib. Because you have that Assyrian account that parallels so many passages in the biblical account. And of course, like you mentioned, you have a number of other finds that connect to that. Uh, The broad wall, we throw that in there too. What's the broad wall? So that was the wall that Hezekiah had built when the Assyrians were coming to besiege the city. So like, you know, construction projects that he did, the major ones were the tunnel and then the wall. And those are both talked about in the Bible. And, and you can go visit both of them. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Are, are there any other findings
0: like that where you have it being confirmed from multiple angles and multiple uh, historical records or whatever the case?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, another good example, sort of close to that time period, is the Moabite stone, or sometimes the Mesha Stele, is what it's called. And that's basically the Moabite version of what's recorded in Second Kings three. So you have this this long biblical account about it, and then you have the Moabite perspective, and it talks about so many of the same things and the same people, and it's it's pretty astonishing. And you what know,
0: what uh uh tell us what what is that story again? What are they recording?
1: Uh, that is when. Mesha, king of Moab, rebels against Israel, who had taken them over for about 40 years. And he, he reasserts Moabite independence. And there's a battle between the Moabites. And they win, the Moabites win that. Um, and he mentions in his account, like Omri, for example, and some of the other kings that that he interacted with. So it's a it's a loss, you know, in the Bible for for Israelites, but it's a win on the mesh of Stele. But it's the same things happening in the same characters that are involved.
0: Interesting, that's amazing, and um, we're we're slowly running out of time here. But I I have another question for you that pertains more to kind of the future of. Um, you know, with, with everything, there's all the talk of, pro- you were mentioned prophecy, fulfilled prophecy and these sorts of things. And uh, it, there's a search for, you know, where the, uh, where the Solomon's temple was originally built and the, the, the conflict with the Dome of the Rock and where the temples, that sort of thing. And um, as far as I understand it, there are actual radar scans being done uh, to try to identify where things used to be built and and stuff like that. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, as far as um, uh, prophetically, you know, the rebuilding of the temple and these sorts of things, is and and the role that archaeology is playing in 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 where that would happen if it would happen. Do you, what are your thoughts there?
1: Uh, I don't know if archaeology is going to have too much of a, a role in that. I mean, most people accept that the temple was originally located right about where the dome of the rock is mm-hmm. some some put it slightly off of there but up there somewhere and you know it they can't it can't be rebuilt if those buildings are there and it's trying to be built on the same spot yeah um, you know archaeologists some are working on what are the remains from Solomon's temple and from Herod's temple and and looking at the side you know where things were pushed off um you know there was there's been some exploration in the tunnels but not any real archaeological projects just because there's there's not permission to be granted for that right now yeah but uh there's there is a lot of work being done archaeologically at some other sites that uh actually a lot of old testament ones right now too Um, new testament some, yeah, like Bait Sida and but Old Testament sites like Shiloh. I mean, you talked to Scott, I'm sure about that. And I I direct an excavation at, at Tell, which is traditionally accepted as I. And then uh, we've got some stuff going on in Jordan. And, you know, pe- people are trying to bring up more of this information, uh, you know, Gath has been a long, ongoing for a long time, Beit Shemesh and so forth. And so archaeology still got a role in terms of how people are seeing the history. And then, you know, that does often get applied to to modern day ideas too. It's Just with the temple, as I said, there's, there's no excavations that they can really do at that location right now. So everything's sort of being done in the periphery
0: yeah. Huh. Interesting. Um, okay. Uh, last question. So I, I, you know, I, I did have a class on biblical archeology span over at Biola and, um, the professor at the time I was talking to him about this, I said, I said, uh, so is there a lot of stuff out there? A lot of writings, a lot of, uh, ancient, uh, whatever it might be, petroglyphs or whatever it might be, um, ancient writings that are un- unread. And he actually said that there are warehouses full of uh, cuneiform and other writings that have just gone unread because they don't have enough people to actually read them. He said that there's not enough people that know the languages. And so basically, they're stored. So it's a lot of a lot of writings that just uh, are, are just kept and, and nobody actually reads them. Uh, is that is that uh, correct? Is that a correct analysis?
1: Yeah, that is. So there are thousands and thousands of cuneiform tablets. And in some, some of the archeological expeditions, they have not been able to get people to finish that work translating them. So somebody, if they had the, the time and the funding, they could spend years and years and years and years just going through uh, those different cuneiform tablets Um, and you know some of them are tied up because there's disputes about who has rights to things but other situations it's just the amount of work exceeds the amount of funding to get it done or you know available scholars sometimes and we could even apply that to archaeological sites I mean there's so many sites out there that could be dug or more digging could be done but there's not enough manpower or funding to do that and so people are having to really target their excavations like okay this is the site that i'm most interested in or this issue and this part of the site and we're going to try to get that done but hopefully somebody else will come along later and and finish or or supplement that
0: yeah well well thanks for what you do man i I think it's incredible and i think it adds a lot to um our ability to you know, communicate the truth of God's word to, uh, the people around us when, when you can say, Hey, it's real history as opposed to, you know, like the book of Mormon or some other book where, you know, you just don't have that evidence. And, uh, and so, um, I think that's incredible what you're doing. So, uh, thanks a lot for sharing that with us. And, um, hopefully your work continues to, uh, grow and, 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 uh, be blessed and, and increase. So thank you, man.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, for those of you uh, who got to listen today, uh, Dr. Titus Kennedy, um, you can check him out. Um, All you have to do is type his name into Google and it'll pop up. And uh, Unearthing the Bible, very, very useful book in just being able to communicate with your friends intelligently about uh, the truth of the history of the Bible. Uh, I, I think it's just so valuable to be able to just pull that out. I mean, and there's so many people that just don't know. They just don't know that it's real history. There's just this popular idea that it's myth. And then all of a sudden whoa, look at all this history. So very, very powerful tool if you want to um, be able to witness and um, share with your friends uh, that the Bible is is true. So uh, fantastic. And uh, Dr. Kennedy, if is anybody um, able to support you? Is there a way that they can support you or what you're doing? Um, how does that happen?
1: Yeah, so that can be done either through Discovery Institute uh, or also... I started a biblical archaeology institute called Archaeos Institute. But, you know, discovery is easy. And uh, we've been working on some, some different future, future ideas and projects. And, uh, of course, trying to finish up this excavation project that I'm currently involved in, too.
0: Fantastic. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Uh, We've got hundreds of shows up on uh, social media and on YouTube and on podcast. You can check them out all with experts from all over the world about all kinds of different issues. Um, Just talking about how God is impacting them and um, God is using them to bless others. So check it out. Educateforlife.org is my website. And again, uh, Unearthing the Bible, Dr. Titus Kennedy. God bless you. We'll see you next week.